What's up, everybody, and welcome to a Table Talk. This is a podcast of the Florida United Methodist Church, the beloved community, where we talk about race, inclusion, and more. It's good to be with everybody on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon. Today is November 8th, 2023. My name is Erwin Lopez, and I am the co-chair of the beloved community, along with Alice Williams. And today we are interviewing Pastor Damian Madison and Angelo Martinez. Uh, Pastor Damian and Angelo, they work with the King Center um, for the Better Together Faith Initiative, which was designed to help faith leaders bridge differences, develop love-centered solutions for relational and social issues, and collaborate with each other, community influencers and politicians to effectuate positive change. And so we definitely want to learn more about the Better Together Faith Initiative and how local churches can get involved. And we're very excited to interview both Damien and Angelo. Um, a little bit more about Damien. He's also an author, a consultant on diversity. He offers couples counseling. He has a podcast titled Conscious Conversations. And you can find out more information about his ministry on demadison.org. Angelo was born and raised in Miami. Shout out 305. Um, graduated from FIU, where I graduated too, with a BSW, graduated from also Candler, and he's on the track to become a deacon in the Florida Conference, and his role in the King Center, he's the current manager of the faith-based relations of the King Center under the Better Together initiative, and Damien is a project manager, so they're working together on this initiative. So we're excited to interview them, excited to hear more about this initiative. So the floor is yours, um, Pastor Damien and Angelo. Tell us about yourselves, your background, your ministry, and the work that you're doing with the King Center. All right. Well, first, uh, Aaron, thank you so much for allowing us to be here uh, in this uh, space to uh, discuss the work that we do and to even to share and learn more about you and the work that you do as well. Um, again, myself, from Chicago originally, uh, born and raised, and eventually migrated Atlanta here. I'm actually in Dallas, Texas. Uh, but I work with the King Center in Atlanta, so I actually commute back and forth. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm a pastor. Uh, I've been pastoring now for around about 20 years. Uh, you know, so pastoring, I've worked in higher education, um, and you shared all those. You know, it sounds pretty wonderful things in my bio. I, I, I don't know who that was you, you, you were talking about, uh, but I guess it's me. Um, so yes, uh, so I've kind of had a passion uh, my entire life, really, for um, for really social change, equity, um, you know, diversity conversations, especially in the faith space. Um, and there's been, and it's really kind of been a thing for me where as, as I matriculated, you know, in ministry, um, I, I saw that there were a lot of spaces of conversation where the church was largely absent and it was a concern for me. Um, you know, again, I go, I saw a whole lot, uh, and of course, then getting older, uh, right around high school age, I became a vicarious student of Dr. King, Brennan Johns, James Cone, and uh, uh, Samuel Proctor, um, and you know, and the likes of those. So um, I really kind of it began to kind of birth in me this you know desire to bridge this gap between what's happening in community and how we do church, uh, but also bringing about a connection between our intellectuality and our spiritual inspiration. Uh, I think one of the things that is often missing is our thought uh, in our theology and how we wrestle with things. Um, so aside from that, I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a father. Uh, I have uh, three kids. Um, I have a daughter who's 
which is a six. We got the buy one, give one free special. And so, yeah, that's uh, pretty much me in a nutshell. And of course, at the King Center, I'm the program manager for the Better Together Faith Initiative at the King Center. Uh, and it's a program designed to empower and engage uh, the faith community at large as interfaith design uh, with the resources and training using King and Nonviolence and marrying that with our various faith perspectives and faith lenses uh, and providing, you know, again, resources, training, education, and also um, you know, a sense of, of, of presence, uh, again, by the Kingston as well, uh, in addressing social change issues, uh, using our theology, faith perspective, and can get nonviolence to really create the beloved community, both internally as an organization, uh, but also, you know, in community as well. Excellent. Thank you so much for that overview, Pastor Damien. Um, Angelo, tell us a little bit about yourself and your work with the King Center. Yes. Uh, yeah. So born and raised Miami, South Florida area. Um, background, ethnicity, Puerto Rican, native Ojibwe descent. Um, and a little bit background on me, education wise, went to FIU, Florida International University with a, for a bachelor's of social work. And the reasons why I did that was because of my childhood upbringing and coming from a diff difficult place of broken homes. And then also allowed me to get into the place of the juvenile center, detention centers, trying to see how that system looks. Um, and it was actually through that um, internship, I ended up, I actually ended up in the director's office where she was starting a faith-based initiative. She had this feeling where the community in Miami, faith leaders needed to get involved in the mentoring program of juveniles. Long story short, she thought I was the campus pastor at FIU, when I told her I attend a campus ministry, she thought her, she heard minister. Oh, that was big confusion. Um, but um, but seeing that side where they were actually doing the work of trying to communicate, connect with faith leaders to mentor those in the juvenile system was a big thing for me. Um, a little experience on the internship level that carried over. I was really involved with Martin Luther King readings, Black Student Union, Haitian Student Organization. So being in those circles um, and engaging justice, racial issue conversations. After that, when started working at Branches, United Methodist, they have a youth program that goes all year. So I served there as assistant program manager, uh, worked with middle school and high schoolers, mainly Haitian, Salvadorian, Mexican, a little bit of Puerto Rican, um, and everyone in between, Jamaican, um, Black American youth. So working with that, um, that was in my neighborhood and my community at the time. So serving there, had this calling throughout that time to pursue seminary, which led me to Candler School of Theology because they had a concentration in justice, peace building, and conflict transformation. And I wanted to use that lens into racial justice, social justice issues. And through all that, ended up at the King Center. They started the new, new initiative called Better Together. Um, was actually interviewed one time by Reverend David Madison. So we got connected through that. Um, it's, you know, it's very interfaith focused. So we're really trying to capture all the lenses and keep people a part of that conversation. Um, so we don't exclude anyone. Everyone's it's inclusive. So we want to include all those voices um, and how we see Dr. King's nonviolent movement, the civil rights movement, um, and how we apply it to our own place. So, yeah. Excellent, excellent. Let's talk a little bit more about the Better Faith Initiative. I want to find out more information and for those churches and pastors who are listening to this. 
let me see if I understand this. The Better Faith Initiative, their goal is to equip churches or interfaith communities and, and faith communities, equip them and train them on Martin Luther King's uh, theology, philosophy of nonviolence. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. Yes. Um, so, yeah, so it's actually designed, uh, and you're correct, it is interfaith. And so it's to train faith leaders, uh, churches, faith-based organizations, uh, and even their memberships um, and, uh, and parishioners, and even members of, the, uh, of, uh, of organizations uh, that are faith-based and faith-centered. Faith uh, and the objective is, again, uh, to your point, to provide training using Kingian nonviolence, which is now called Nonviolence 365. Uh, but it's really a platform that provides education to help understand what was, what is nonviolence, uh, how it shows up in community, uh, how it shows up in, you know, in policy, how it shows up in, you know, in, in, in spaces, and, and what was the methodology, the philosophy that King embraced, and how it came about, um, you know, and, 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 and so why he saw life the way he did, why he approached it the way he did. Oftentimes, uh, we limit um, King and, of course, in the movement, as it were, uh, to seeing the marches, right? You know, we, you know, we hear the speeches and the marches, uh, but we don't understand what was the thought behind that, what was, what was the philosophy, what was, what was the strategy uh, behind that? Uh, because the march actually was not the first step. <laughs> there was actually an entire process that led up to that. But we don't learn learn, learn that in school. You know, we aren't taught that, you know, in, in, in brief, you know, PBS specials. No, so you know, we don't learn the entire philosophy and and, and thought process, and, 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 and even how King stood no, theologically. Um, so it's provide a framework, a space to learn that, uh, but also with you know space to have discussions uh, to see how that interrelates with our faith perspectives. Um, you know, and again, it's interfaith, uh, and, and one thing that we all have in common is really a desire uh, to see humanity live and thrive. Right. And so, you know, honoring humanity, honoring creation, uh, no matter who you are, where you're from. Um, so but providing that framework to have those conversations, uh, but also to embrace and empower faith spaces, faith communities with the resources, tools, but also to let them know they're not by themselves. Uh, one of the things that you often hear about persons who are in the space is who else is out here with me? Who else is doing this? And so creating a space to have conversations. Uh, exchange, ideate, and really look at how do we how do we address issues that we see externally, but also, oftentimes, uh, even within our faith spaces, there are things that we have to address to become more beloved. You know, so how do we apply Kenyan nonviolence internally as well, and, and even as a person? And that's the beauty of Kenyan philosophy. It begins with self. Um, it, it, it really makes you look at who you are and how you navigate, how you address, how you respond to conflict, how you respond to issues. I know, are you loving? You know, are you? And so it creates a space to have all this, you know, introspective, you know, introspective um, and wrestle with thoughts, you know, collectively and do so from a faith lens. That's great. You know, I love the marketing that you're all doing or just your social media posts. Where you're talking about how learning the values of nonviolence is important because it'll help you be a better parent, it'll help you in the workplace. And so I want local churches to know how important this is. So can you help me answer the answer the question? Why should local churches be engaged? Why should local United Methodist churches be engaged? You know, um, 
I'm gonna start. I, I, I'm gonna tag Angelo in here because I know he has a, you know, a direct connection. Uh, so I'd love, 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 love to hear his thoughts on that. Uh, but it does as a pastor. Um, one of the things that we tend to do in churches, in faith spaces, is we 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 toss words. You know, we love to love, love say, you know, beloved. You know, we're loving. We know we're compassionate. We're caring. Um, but how does that show up, right? And so it, it's it is a for me. We need to be engaged to discover and learn how to become beloved institutionally. And so there are actually, we have um, uh, pillars that we can measure. And, and, and actually, you know, it's a new project you know, that, that, that's been designed for the love community. Um, but there are pillars that we can use to measure uh, our institutions and even self by to see, you know, how beloved you're actually being. Are you concerned? about policy that impacts people? Uh, are you concerned with, you know, living wages? Are you concerned with, you know, food insecurity? Are you concerned with how your membership is surviving, how they're doing in their marriages, how they're doing in you know, those school, are they surviving, you know, just everyday life? And for me, um, you know, in our church, we have a phrase that we, we want to impact life between Sundays. And so how do we navigate this space and be impactful between Sundays and be beloved in doing so? And so, you know, but being beloved is, you know, again, being compassionately concerned about about the human experience, about about the human person. You know, what impacts them outside of worship? What impacts them in everyday life? How how does love show up? Agape love show up in every facet of life. How do we engage and navigate that? Because here it is, for us to do and discuss love on Sunday morning, but we don't live it out between Sundays that sends a mixed message and so and oftentimes we know we're divorced from the real issues that are impacting people we are divorced from policy education we are divorced from social change issues but we but we're praying and asking god to do these things and we're and we're saying we love the person that i know that we're pastoring but how are we showing up in the in, in spaces that are impacting them negatively and so i think it behooves us as faith leaders to make sure that we're showing up with president spaces and having conversations that impact their life every single day. Matthew, we have to love our neighbor as ourselves. That love shows up by knowing and being concerned about what's impacting that person, impacting their families, impacting them socially, impacting them politically, impacting them economically, and make sure that we're present for those conversations. No, I think that's great. And Angela, love for you to give your thoughts here, especially as somebody who grew up in the United Methodist Church. Why is it important for the United Methodist Church that you you went to and the one that, you know, you'll serve in the future? A couple of things come to mind. And uh, for me specifically, when it comes to community involvement, um, especially with the UMC, you know, we have ministries already established, whether it's homeless, whether it's a certain children's ministry, pre-K school, um, things like that. But then it comes down to what I've seen is there is a level of competitiveness. And that could be a hurdle to a beloved community where maybe two UMC churches are 10 to 15 minutes apart and they're not really working together. So, um, and which is interesting because for me, at least when you use the words United Methodist Church, <laughs> the word United is in there, but you can see that there's some competitiveness with grants, all these other things, but is that a hurdle for those churches to come together and also be the center of a beloved community in that in those communities, whether it's a community garden um, project that they've collaborated on, or some other type of farmers markets hosting on their 
um, on their property. Um, because I do believe that when it comes to beloved community, especially in the United Methodist, we say open mind, open doors, open hearts. And I think on a personal level, what does open minds mean? Um, because even I'll even tackle the, the issues of going on today in UMC, the disaffiliations, LGBT, all these others, racial issues, um, that if we're open-minded, how are we practicing it? Has that become practical throughout our week? Are we engaging with diverse minds, diverse ethnicities, cultures, languages throughout the week? Are we being intentional, creating intentional spaces with that? Um, so I think for me, when it comes from the United Methodist perspective and lens, that there are there is potential and there is hope. Um, we just have to be creative with it. And I think when we step back and if we really take in Dr. King's words and steps and principles, he actually has a step that says, um, or a principle that says commitment, daily check, check yourself. Um, are you holding bitterness towards someone? Are you, you know, are you tacking, shaming, blaming? I know that's a lot going on right now within the UMC disaffiliations around sexuality, even racial issues. So personal check, how are we practicing it in our homes, in our workplaces? Can the church itself create that space to practice it? So it becomes normalized in the homes, in their communities. So I think that's where, um, when it comes to beloved communities in the UMC, that's where we can look at and start. So yeah. No, I think that's great. I definitely have experienced having a lot of local churches in the community, a lot of United Methodist churches. And I love that this message is about uniting people, bringing people together, and also teaching people how to ask the deeper questions, the more substantial questions um, in terms of how to love neighbor. Like, are they getting enough to eat and how can we help with that? I love that. Um, I have a question for you all about the King Center. This is the King Center. This is Martin Luther King's legacy. This is the organization that was left behind by his daughters, his family, um, to continue the message of the beloved community. Um, and so the training that you're offering is coming from Martin Luther King Center in Atlanta, Georgia. Talk to me about the, just the legitimacy of that, the history of that, the sacredness of that, um, because I want churches to know that this training is being offered um, and it's the way that we can continue to live out this King's vision. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that um, I want to point out is, is really the historicity and the amazing story of how the King Center was even birthed. Um, one of the things that is, is often overlooked uh, when we discuss the Kingian history is his wife, Carla Scott King, um, and really her brilliance, her foresight, her insight, um, you know, she was a masterful strategist. Um, and so uh, throughout King's life, she made it, uh, it was her purpose and made it, you know, very intentionally so. She kept record of everything from speeches to talks to, I mean, I mean, everything she, you know, she kept and recorded everything, housed, library, everything. And so after King's assassination, she literally prepared and birthed the King Center immediately after. Um, and so while some will be mourning and grieving, um, her mourning and grieving showed up in birthing an institution called the King Center. Um, and so in doing so, 
Um, this is really the brainchild of work that she, you know, that she did, and and with the intention of preserving uh, King's legacy, but also being able to tell tell the story accurately, um, you know, with integrity and with truth. And so, um, uh, so the King Center is the largest um, um, storehouse of King and information uh, that exists, um, and it's you know again, it's, it's focused on integrity, accuracy of, of information. And it's really due, again, uh, we, we must honor, uh, celebrate uh, King for, for, for birthing such a, a, a magnificent institution. Um, and it lives today. And of course, our CEO is Dr. Bernice King, the daughter of Dr. King. Um, and so who is you know, working every day to preserve the legacy and the, the legitimacy of, of truth telling within uh, um, the organization. So yeah. Um, and so in terms of, you know, authenticity, um, when someone engages in King Center, engages in embedded together, you're being trained, uh, providing information that's been verified, authenticated, um, and it's, again, it's birthed from the King Center, the King Center uh, of Nonviolence. And so um, uh, it is an amazing experience. I've done the curriculum, uh, so is Angelo. Uh, and like I say firsthand, it is... Uh, as much as I thought I knew, uh, I discovered I did not know. And so, and I've been reading King for a long time and I still learn more principles, more, more, more ways of, of application, but even learning context, you know, the context upon which a lot was happening at that time. And one of the things that, you know, it, it is even pointed out in the curriculum, uh, you know, a small little sneak peek snapshot is you even get to wrestle with some of the things, things that did not work in the movement. And so a lot of times, you know, we see the highlights went well, and but you also get a chance to kind of wrestle with things that did not work and how they navigated that and how they applied change and address, you know, solution or problem solving to make sure that they address the shift of, you know, for a movement. So um, again, it's a great, a great place to be, you know, to begin and learn from, uh, but also it's, you know, again, learning Kingian philosophy and why he thought the way he did, how he viewed the world. Now, there's a term called the world house uh, that, uh, that you'll you know that, that you'll hear and learn uh, more about um, in the curriculum because you discover that King saw the world as one big house. You know, we are we are the world house, and so how do we navigate and, and, and exist together and honor humanity and live in love together and recognizing that I can differ from you, I can disagree with you, but I do not have to destroy you. And I think that is really a piece that we you know, that we wrestle with in, in you know in culture today. We we have the assumption that if I disagree with you, I have to attack you, I have to destroy you, I have to take you out. But no, I can disagree, but we but we can still coexist and live together in agape love and humanely, though we have different opinions. That's okay. And so I think it helps us to wrestle with conflict in, in a whole different way, where I honor your humanity because I love you and I see you as God's creation. I appreciate that. You know, um, I had this party on Saturday for my son and I had a pastor here and he said, oh, I got to leave early because I have All Saints Day on Sunday. And, you know, that's a very important day. And I looked around at the people in my party and I was thinking to myself, 90% of these people are not interested in All Saints Day. <laughs> they will likely not be there on Sunday. right? And I say that because... What comes to mind for me is that, yes, this initiative is for faith communities, but 
Is it safe to say that you both believe that everybody should be trained on nonviolence? Every single person, because I see also you have programs for children um, starting at age 13, I think I saw. Um, so this is something that everybody should be trained in. Am I correct? And can you expand a little bit more on that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, if I have, again, of course, our program is focused, you know, again, on, on the faith community. Uh, but yes, King Center, we, we have resources for, you know, for everybody. And I think it is it, it is very helpful for us to know how to coexist and how to live nonviolently and and to really understand how violence shows up, right? I think we don't we don't discuss that enough uh, because when you look at and and when you look at King in philosophy and even um, his wife Crosscut King um, and some of her you know, her writings you begin to understand that violence shows up in a very, very broad sense. Violence shows up in policy. It shows up in food insecurity. It shows up in homelessness. It shows up in, uh, in, in abuse and sexism and misogyny. Uh, and so, I mean, so it's it, because all those things are violent. Someone not being able to eat due, due, due to policy or strain economically, that's violent. Someone not being able to vote, that's violent. So that, because it, it impacts their existence as, as a human being. And so... Being able to wrestle with that and know that, you know, I can live nonviolent because I'm making sure that as a human, you can exist, that you have access to food, you have access to light, you have access to water, you know, war. I mean, all these things. And so how do we navigate and have conversations and help even again, and, and, and to your point, helping our youth understand that at a young age. So as, we, as they matriculate, as they grow up, they have a lens on life that honors humanity and lives in the God love. That's great, Angelo. Feel free to chime in here if you'd like. Yeah, and I was going to add that what it does is, especially when um, going through the curriculum course and stuff like that, it really differentiates what conflict is and violence. And I like that part because we can look at ver a verbal conflict, a disagreement can be a conflict, but it can escalate to violence. You know, we see that throughout the world and the issues going on right now, political differences and stuff like that. But um, so when you see that, you can what it does is it helps you navigate personally in your home conflict. It gives you nonviolence allows options. It gives room for options to navigate how to express how you feel. How would you address that conflict before it escalates to violence? And I think when we do that, that's how we're keeping the humanity and respecting the humanity is when we start equipping families in our homes, the kids in our homes the language to, uh, of nonviolence to keep, you know, preserve humanity, the respect for humanity as we grow older, because it allows us different options on how to express it, how to approach it. And um, I think that was one of the biggest things with the civil rights movements. It gave, especially through Dr. King's practices, it gave room for negotiation with political leaders, local leaders. It gave room to even internal issues within organizations, how to navigate a problem. You know, so conflict, it can always be butting heads, but if if you don't navigate those tools to change the conversation, you're not gonna move in the same direction. It's gonna be butting heads because that the language is gonna escalate it to violence. Um, but yeah, I think though, like when it comes to comes to nonviolence, the training courses that are offered at the King Center, it's it goes across the board as a general. It's to equip ourselves so we could create a beloved community in our homes in the community around us, even outside the church. 
no i appreciate that perspective and i definitely think of things like that are happening in our world like the mass shootings you know you know um people often say i want to do something about it i want to do something about it well being trained in nonviolence can help with that becoming a trainer of nonviolence can help with that um as one man puts it he says you know what's important is the children's children like what we create what is created out of this as we continue to spread this message you know we will be doing something about some of this violence in our world which comes to mind for me is 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 this message being lost in the younger generation as we have this gap between king and gen z um what kind of engagement are we seeing with gen z and it comes to mind well of course we got to continue the work um but how tell me about gen z their engagement suggestions anything you know um from my perspective i think one of the things that we have done a horrible job at is preserving and passing down information um and, and, and that shows up like one of the, especially when it comes to the, the discussion about nonviolence, um, because for so long it has been presented and discussed as a very passive way of existing. It has oftentimes been taught you know, and, uh, and even marketed as, a, as, as an attitude of doing nothing. Um, and so to my point earlier, um, you don't, you know, and Angela kind of pointed out a moment ago that you don't, we don't learn that before there was a march, there were, there were conversations and negotiations with local politicians. We don't learn that there was strategy behind the scenes and the march was the culmination. Okay. After we tried talking to you, we tried negotiating with you. We tried having conversation with you. Okay. Now we got to show up. And so it was a process, it was a strategy in mind. And so, but we don't have the conversation. And so it's also nonviolence, you know, this idea is often lost in the noise of the world because again, you know, people are frustrated, right? And so they want to do something. How do we effectuate, how, how, how do we effectuate change? We, we, we got to do something and we don't, and so, but we have this disconnect between information sharing and teaching. And so we don't know, they don't know you know what you know, the, the the philosophy and the strategy and and, and how King thought and and really and, and really discovering is not passive; it's strategic and it's loving. And so, I think so. We have to create spaces uh, to you know have conversation, engage, um, and be open to listening and recognize that pain does exist, anger does exist, frustration does exist. Concern does exist, and we don't have to dismiss that to be nonviolent. We just learn how to navigate it. We learn how to use principles of you know, again of nonviolence to you know to now know to handle it very differently. But it does exist, and so and and also we don't have to dismiss humanity in the process. And so I think you know that is a real point of education and conversation that we have to be able to have, but sharing. Again, the, the 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 accurate historicity, the truth about what nonviolence is um, and what it's not, um, and and helping this generation or that generation to see, you know, this there is a way to bring about change. Um, but again, I, ha I have to quote 
and uh, Dr. King, you know, here, you no, know, he didn't mention that, you know, oftentimes, you no, know, you know, writing is the language of oppressed, you know, and so, so there is a point when you can become so oppressed and so frustrated that, 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 that you feel that's your only voice, you know, Paula Freire argues in pedagogy um, of the oppressed that, no, we, you know, we can, you know, almost begin to emulate oppression when, you know, while being oppressed because that's how we view power. And so, I mean, all of this stuff can be a noise and, you know, and create, you know, conflict within us. But we have to be we have to be able to have a conversation and create a space like the King Center, like Better Together, like the work you're doing, Reverend. You know, just you know, to have conversations with you know with the generation. Say, hey, look, we hear your pain, we feel your pain, but here's a way that we can navigate it, that we can you know again wrestle with it internally, but also live it in the external. I appreciate that response, Angela. What do you think? Um, you were in a campus ministry. Was your were people at FIU interested in this? If not, why not? What what is happening? What is happening with Gen Z? Talk to me. So I think one of the couple of things that, um, especially at FIU, we held like some conversations about racial justice, justice in general, um, usually the month of February, and you know just having other pastors, diversity speak on certain issues. Um, one thing I would say now is Gen Z, millennials, they're using the internet wisely now. I want to say wisely and unwisely at the same time. <laughs> There's truth in both of those. But when it comes to protesting, when it comes to taking a stance, social media becomes an, a number one outlet. Um, there are even acts of now with the whole Israeli-Palestine uh, war across the world. People are doing nonviolent protests, but then there's also violent protests. And I think one thing is happening is we're still failing at how to aim our anger towards the the issue so what i mean by that is like in dr king you have the three evils you know poverty militarism and racism so when you look at this you know we can all say people dying on both sides is wrong so war itself militarism is wrong war you know because we know that the generational outcome you know there's going to be a continual bias growing hatred for each side and so when that happens we shift if we take our eyes off that we're shifting it now to they're the problem they're the problem we're looking at the face instead of seeing you know what we're both both sides are both victims of oppression like there's like this next step that dr king took was the oppressor is also the oppressed of evil and so i think we need to kind of like also sit back and view that and i think gen z millennials also have to work on that more in the conversation um, because if not, that's what leads to escalation. Uh, when it when it comes to um, physical protests, when you're in that space together, does it escalate to violence? Because you're you're harboring that anger, that hatred, um, and you're aiming it at people instead of the issue. Um, so I think there is issues with that. I think um, conversations need to be held more, um, even in the college, the college age. Um, space where interfaith, intercultural, interdiversity talks, um, where people can share where they come from, what's the political issues of their areas. Do that does that person relate to it or not? And it's okay if you don't, but where do you still stand on your beliefs, your ideology and all that stuff when it comes to someone presenting it? So I think that Gen Z millennials do very well 
on the social media platform. I also think there's also a push for physical present um, presence when it comes to action, but it has to be guided by love, rooted in love, if we really want to establish justice. And I think that's where it gets a little difficult, depending on who's leading a protest, who's leading a movement, a group, who are they voicing it against? Who are they protesting against? What is the main issue? Um, that can get lost in dialogue, rhetoric, social media, news. You know, we get flooded all the time throughout the week. So we lose that. And sometimes there are great protests and great movements, but because of one media outlet, one video, you know, it can stop the movement completely. It can ruin the movement completely. And then that will take it for a different turn. But yeah, I think that's where I think one of the starting places for Gen Z is utilizing protests, utilizing your space to hear voices, build capacity of empathy, um, to have a better movement to where they want to go with justice. I appreciate your response, Angelo and Dr. Damien. Thank you so much. Um, we got just about five more minutes left. And I'm kind of just going to share a big thought. And then I'd love to hear your response on this. Okay. And don't worry if you don't answer every detail. But I wish we had a little bit more time because this is what I've been wanting to ask y'all <laughs> um, for a while now since I've been studying the beloved community. But tell me everything about the beloved community. Tell me, tell me as much as you can in terms of its origin, um, King's vision for it. What does it look like today? Is it safe to say that you can contextualize beloved community in your in, in terms of your community? And and for example, I'm doing racial trauma cohorts. I'm doing um, these podcasts. Um, so tell me as much as you can in terms of beloved community contextualizing. And then indoctrination. What is the role of indoctrination? Did King ultimately want everybody to become a Christian? I'm guessing the answer to that is no, but I want to hear more of what you have to say. If we were to create a, what is a beloved community? Um, so just kind of a big thought. Love to hear your thoughts. Um, go ahead. As long as you want to. I was going to say when uh, a beloved community creates the space for diversity um, with respect to that diversity. And I say that with um if it's one community where it's a mix, you know, Hispanic, Black, Asian, different cultures, different religious beliefs are in those in that one single community, they can function, you know, economically, they can function um, religiously, socially without any um, danger of threat, I would say, like there's no hurdle coming towards them. Um, and then that community working together to flourish. So fighting against hunger, the homelessness, if it is in that community, um, what are creative ways to do that? So I think um, that's what it looks like to me when we tackle the hurdles, when we have such a diverse community, but it's also keeping and preserving humanity by creating respectable barriers and boundaries of those cultures. Yeah, um, I'm gonna answer your latter question first about the the question about indoctrination. Um, um, 
King was not, not by any means interested um, in indoctrination. Um, uh, and, and, and really not, not even this idea of conversion as we know it today, um, you know, in which, you know, even created some noise within the faith community you know, back then uh, because the you know, King uh, really adopted this, this idea called creative synthesis um, and, you know, and being, and being syncretic. And so, you know, he pulled from different thought perspective and thought lenses and, you know, and spaces and philosophy and, you know, theologies and, you know, and, 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 and created this idea, this philosophy that, you know, that he was guided by. Now, of course, he's a Christian. Uh, he was, you know, again, a Baptist preacher, Baptist pastor. Uh, so that was his lens. Uh, but, but not by any means was he, had did, did he had the objective of trying to convert everyone else to being like him, which I think is part of the issue that we have now in this space when it comes to navigating social change and, and even being beloved in the faith space. We oftentimes won't have conversation unless we can convert. We are we are trying to engage with the objective of conversion and not compassion. And so 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 because we don't have that. Uh, that ability to have discussions, have you know, conversation, and do it from again a lens of love, agape love, uh, which is really what King was trying to do. Let's approach this. Let's be beloved by being loving. Let's be beloved, um, you know, by showing up and being present again, and, and and not having the you know being consumed with the idea of having having to you know to make you be like me um, again, which is the idea of conversion. Um, and so your first question, you know, can being, being beloved be contextualized? Absolutely. Um, it, it's not so much the, what you're doing is how you're doing it. Are you being beloved in your podcast by you know, honoring humanity and, you know, and, and, and wrestling with, again, you know, recognizing and calling out the three evils that Angela mentioned, you know, that King, you know, um, highlighted, you know, how, how do we wrestle with issues that, that hurt and harm humanity. Are, are we are we having conversations? Are we being beloved ourselves as we navigate, you know, our conversations as as a barber? Am I beloved? You know, am I honoring humanity as a barber, as a preacher, as a pastor, as a doctor, as a lawyer? It, you know, it can definitely be contextualized. But 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 how are you doing it? Are you centered on love? Are you centered on Kingian principles, uh, on nonviolence, and, and, and honoring creation fully? And recognizing that I can be different from you, you can be different from me, but I do not have to destroy, I don't have to subjugate you, I don't have to oppress you, we can exist together and wrestle and live in love together. So yes, we can be beloved, um, you know, it can show up in different spaces, um, but it's more about how we're doing it, not what we're doing. Um, but also, again, uh, the idea of indoctrination is not, is not the goal, uh, you know, you don't have to be like me. You don't have to have. I'm I'm Christian. Um, you, know, you you don't have to be like me. Uh, no, whatever your faith lens is, let's wrestle with this thing called nonviolence together. Let's learn to live it out internally, externally with with, with our institutions, our, our organizations, our businesses, our families. How we have friendship, how we do life, how we do relationship. Let's live our being beloved in all these spaces. And I promise you, I believe wholeheartedly that we can see social change happen in a very real way. I'd like to add um, to that, um, to what Pastor D said, um, because he'd mentioned the word creative synthesis. And 
uh, where Dr. King was going with it was acknowledging multiple truths in the beloved world house community. Um, and he goes on even saying like, I have my truth, you have your truth, but let's come together and actually see, you know, what's the root of this truth? Where, you know, where do we both rely on this? Um, a perfect example is if um, when you read the letter from the Birmingham jail, the, the people he's responding to, um, if you really look at the language, is that the, the, the initial letter that was sent to him was saying, you're a foreigner, you're an outsider. Why are you doing this? Why are you taking action type thing, right? But in his response was, you're right. I am an outsider to this location, but I'm not an outsider to the um, segregation, to the racial issues. So he's saying, I acknowledge your truth. I am not from this location, but my truth is it's still impacting me on a racial issue. Segregation exists. It impacts me. So he presents his truth, acknowledges that truth, and says, this is the root of the truth, though. So I think that's where, when it comes to the beloved community, we have to be intentional in how we show up, um, how Damien was saying, like, this is how we, to show up, you have to be intentional um, and practicing in whatever way you want to show it. But I think intentionality in space is helpful. Well, that's great. Thank you so much for your response. Thank you, Pastor Damien, for your time. And thank you to the King Center for your time as well. And I hope that this podcast encourages churches in the United Methodist Church, specifically in Florida, to get that certificate. They also offer a certificate on nonviolence. I also hope that this encourages my friends to get trained on nonviolence. And I can't wait for myself to complete the training, to get my children involved, to get my wife involved. And so thank you so much for your time. And thank you to everybody who's listening. And this is the end of our podcast. Y'all want to share anything in closing? No, thank you for allowing us to be here. We appreciate it. And we look forward to uh, sharing more together. I echo that. Yes. Thank you for giving us this time. Awesome.